We entitled uh, this message today, Zeal for Power, Overcoming Pride, Zeal for Power, Overcoming Pride, and we're going to be in the book of uh, Judges today, looking at the life of Samson, the book of Judges, life of Samson, and the story really covers 13, chapters 13 through 16, and we're going to start our reading from Judges chapter 16, taking a look uh, at the verses 14, I guess, through 22 to get us going here. And again, she, Delilah, called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. And he awoke. It's not, um, he awoke from sleep and pulled up the, the pin and the loom with the fabric. And then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide to me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Can you imagine that? Someone nagging you almost to the point that you want to die. How sad that is, right? It's so sad. And this is where we find Samson. But the truth is, Samson placed himself in that situation, right? And throughout Samson's life, uh, he had women trouble. And they nagged him and they, uh, they manipulated him. But he actually did nothing to resist them in the process as well. And we're going to speak about that in a few moments as well. And this is the third time that Delilah uh, played Samson, in a sense, trying to find out the secret of his strength. And each time Samson would tell the story and he would tell her some more lies and make up some more things. And each time she would press him some even more and more and more and more. And then he would eventually give in to her and tell us some more lies and some things that about his hair and his strength. And each time he was getting, in a, in a sense, weaker and weaker and weaker until, they, until he finally caves into her and tells her the truth and nothing but the truth. And that should be a warning for, for many of us at many levels. Uh, be careful who you go into a relationship with, right? Because it will affect your thinking and outcome in your life. And we'll talk more about that as the story progresses. And also this story shows us basically uh, that a prophet of God or a judge or a minister of God uh, can be used even in uh, their imperfections and sins. And I, I'll tell you, this is not one of my favorite stories. It's not for a lot of reasons. For some reasons it is and other reasons it's not because this man has failed as a leader of God in so many ways and so many times. Uh, his anger, his stupidity with women, the neglect of his vow, uh, disobedience to his parents. And you probably come with a, a list for yourself of all the things that, that Samson did in the story that just wasn't right. But in spite of all the neglect, in spite of the rage, in spite of the re revenge, in spite of all the retaliation that we see happening here, Samson makes it into Hebrews chapter 11, which is the great faith chapter in the Bible. It's one of the great faith chapters in the Bible, and he makes it. And so there has to be so many lessons there for us to, to learn about this, this book of Judges, and if nothing else, that we can fall and fail miserably and make some terrible mistakes. And even there's times that you see mistakes are being done on purpose and with purpose, and yet God is still able to use uh, you, Samson, and he's able to save us as well and turn the story out for our good and for his purposes. Hallelujah. Thank you for that. Yes, that's true. That amen, that I appreciate that. Because it is so true. We need to get that in our core, that God loves us. And he's working for us. And, and I don't want to glorify Samson and his sins in any way. And I think um, I'm really thankful for that he is placed in this, in this great book because we all have sinned. Every one of us, we fall short, right? We have, we have fallen short, every one of us. And 
um, falling short to the glory of God. But this story is one of, of, of judgment and redemption and, and forgiveness. And while this story is told from, in a way, from a point of view of the judge, the judge of God, um, that, that Samson, um, he just seems to be so out of control. He's out of control. But we see mercy. We see God's forgiveness, right? Um, God wants to redeem and restore one of his children. In fact, all of us. It's, that's for all of us. Amen. Verse 17, so Samson told Delilah everything. No razor has ever been used in my head, he said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart from God since birth. If my head was shaved, my strength would leave me and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that, he, he had told her everything. He sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more, told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with, with silver in their hands. And having put him to sleep on her lap, lured her, lured him to sleep. She called the men to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him and his strength left him. And then she said, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He awoke from his sleep. He should have been awake. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out before and shake myself free. But he did not know the Lord has left him. And I'll come back to this phrase, but... What a phrase, right? Gets me every time I read it. But he did not know the Lord left him. As we go through the story, I want you to think about that phrase for yourself and just make it personalize it. Have I lost God's presence and I don't even know it? Have I left his presence? I'm not even aware of it. Have you gone astray even after a zeal for God, but you're still missing his presence? You stopped lingering around the altars. You stop lingering in your private chambers. Have you been searching for power, wealth, success at a cost of losing his presence? He did not know the Lord left him. Verse 21, then the Philistines seized him, gouged at his eyes, took him down to Gaza, binding him with bronze shackle. They sent him to the grinding, to be grinding, to set him to grinding in the prison. But the hairs on his head began to grow again after he has been shaved. There's so many nuggets of truth going through this portion of scripture, but we're going to focus on a few of them, especially at the end. He was asleep when he should have been awake. He was blind when he should have been able to see. And he was in darkness when he should have been in the light. Let's pray. Father God, I just thank you for your word. For this great story, Lord God, even though it gets on my nerves sometimes, we know that it's here for us to learn. Open our hearts and minds to receive in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. Each one of these chapters, these four chapters of Judges, start off basically speaking about a woman who's going to affect Samson's life. Chapter 13 basically starts off by telling us uh, about Samson's mom. Samson's mom was sterile and uh, childless. And it tells us also that, again, the Israelites did evil in the sight of the Lord. So the Lord now is going to deliver them uh, into the hands of the Philistines. And the Bible says for 40 years, right? Uh, but things are going to change very rapidly here. The angel of the Lord appears to Samson's mom, who is nameless in the story. And he says, uh, you're sterile and childless. Uh, but you're going to conceive and have a son, and he gives then following instructions. And so you'll see that in verse 4. Now see to it that you drink no wine or fermented drink, and that you do not eat anything unclean. 
because you will conceive and give birth to a son. No razor will be used on his head because he is because the boy is to be a Nazarite set apart. I love this stuff. Set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband. And God is going to do the miraculous, really, from the onset of, of the story. He, he tells Samson's mom, yes, you're sterile. Yes, you're, you're childless. But that's going to change. You will conceive and you will have the son. And, then he, and, then he, he, and he's not going to be any kind of ordinary a child at all. Right? Uh, but this is going to be a sign. Because this child is going to become the deliverer of Israel. Who's going to enslave and... and um, in, that's his, who's going to deliver them from slavery and, and bondage uh, from the Philistines. And so, not only is this idea of the miraculous throughout these chapters, but also we learn something serious, that people bring on their own trouble. So often we find that in scriptures, that people just bring on their own trouble. And now we know that sin causes harm, and we know that Israel brought... Uh, trials and punishment on themselves and we also know that Samson experienced heartache throughout his life mostly uh, because of his own doing and the dysfunctional relationships that he finds himself in and he enters into but reg regarding his mom there's no indication that she was childless uh, because of any sin or anything that she's done wrong and I think that's important but her childlessness was going to lead to be a blessing a deliverance a deliverer will come out of her and for the people. Parents, if you're praying for a child, for your children or children to be, I guess I should say, and it hasn't happened yet, trust the Lord anyway. Keep telling the Lord what's on your heart. Don't, don't give up. Stay faithful to him as well. And look for opportunities to serve where, wherever you go and end up. I'm an ambassador for serving wherever you are. Uh, even when you go through difficult times, what I've learned over my years um, I'm 56. I've been on this planet for a long time that so many people pull away from their church and pull away from their church family when they're dealing with hard times. I don't know why people do that, but they just seem to do that. And I believe in those times, that's when we need to enter in more in prayer and even um, have more support around them. That's not the time to be isolated. I know we think that is. Just leave me alone. I don't want to be bothered. Leave me alone. It's not the time to be alone. It's not the time to be isolated from the support system and from those that love you. Amen? Amen? Allow the power of God to intervene on your behalf, regardless of what the outcome is. He's faithful. Now, Samson's mom was going to take a vow not to drink any wine or any, uh, any fermented drink. No razor's going to go to the boy's head. He was going to, she was going to raise the, this boy as a Nazarite, and while doing so, um, we see that it's going to be done. Samson's supposed to do this for the rest of his life, but his mom was only going to take this vow for a short period of her life for a season and raise him up according to God's words. Parents, raise your children up according to God's words. There's a lot of little nuggets here that I'll just be throwing up, throwing out here, not throwing up, but throwing out to you. Rewind that, right? Um, now, as this chapter goes on, we see another miraculous occurrence. The angel of the Lord appears. The angel of the Lord appears and visited Samson and um, the dad. And so we see that this is Jesus himself in the flesh prior to the New Testament. This is called a theophany, for those who might want to take that note down. It's a, a visible manifestation of God in the presence of 
uh, in the person of Jesus Christ. They could also be an audible voice or uh, a vision or, or some kind of dream. But it's called a theophany. Verse, verse 19 and 20, And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from a, the altar towards heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When you're in the power and the presence of the Lord, it should, humble, it should cause you to humble yourself in his sight. So many of us have lost that respect and zeal and for the Lord, but should cause you to humble yourself and, and worship the Lord. They bowed, they bowed their faces, they fell on the ground and bowed before the Lord, showing respect and honor to God. Now after the Lord told them how, how to raise their, this child, he left in a fiery blaze towards heaven. Now, verse 24 tells us the woman gave birth to a boy, and his name is Samson, which means son. And Psalms 84, verse 11, refers to God as the sun and shield. Now, Samson grows, and the Lord blesses him. And verse 25 is a powerful statement. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him. And the Spirit of the Lord, wow, began to stir him. And church, we must allow the Holy Spirit to stir us. We must allow the Holy Spirit to stir us. We must allow, we must, um, allow the Holy Spirit to stir our children and our young adults as well. Encourage it, parents. Encourage it. Encourage it. Encourage them to go deeper as you go deeper with the Lord. The, Lord. the Lord's not always going to be found. There's times you're going to be really distant from Him. But when He moves, you move. When He moves, yield to the move of the Holy Spirit. Don't run away. There's going to be times that there's going to be things happening in our services that you might say, I don't understand this. And God's not moving in a, in a miraculous, powerful way. And you might say, I don't understand this. That's okay. Yes. Ask questions. Let's meet up. Let's talk. Talk to a brother and sister who might understand this. But, but understand that God does some strange things at times. And the saints of God then do some strange things at times. But some people will run towards God while other people are going to run away from God. And I just want to be where God is and what he's doing when he's moving and breathing. I want to be, I want to be there too. Now like many children start off well and are blessed, they go astray. Samson is one of those children. He's no different. Remember, you can be from a good family, you can be from a godly family, and you can still go astray. So it's not always how you start that matters most. Starting well doesn't mean that you will finish well either. It's not always how things start up that determine where you end up. Chapter 4 starts off with Samson wanting to marry a Philistine woman. But he's probably around 20 years old at that time. Why I come up with that is because chapter 15, verse 20 says, Samson led Israel for 20 years, and by chapter 16, he's dead. And so, I'm, I think he's around 20, and then lived another 20 years. So Samson wants to get married to the Philistine woman, and the Philistines were the enemies of Israel, which caused issues for the, for the parents. And those don't get stuck on those dates, I mean, the, how, how long he was alive for, but he, we know he wasn't five when he got married, right? So, but we know uh, 20 years he ruled, so. Um, but it caused issues for his parents, and 
And they said, isn't, isn't there an acceptable woman here? Why go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? They, they obviously had a problem with the Philistines, right? And now well, the Lord is with Samson. We know that the Lord is with Samson. And we know that the Lord was looking for an occasion for Samson to confront the Philistines. This does not mean that he wanted Samson to marry this unbeliever. And please, church, this is a warning. And, and those who are in this situation, I get it, but it, you're looking for trouble when you marry an unbeliever, when you marry a non-Christian. No matter how good looking, no matter if you all jive up on everything, if they look good, you know, whatever, 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 handsome, whatever it might be, you're looking for trouble. We call it being unequally yoked. It causes this disunity in the home. Marriage at times, did you know marriage at times can be tough enough? Can be hard enough? Not in our house, ever. I'm just saying that up front. I crossed everything on that one. No, I'm only joking, tongue in cheek, right? Um, but we love each other, and we're walking down the same road together, and we're serving the same God together, and that changes so many things, right? Because it gets you over those hard times. It gets you over the conflict. It gets over when two become one, and you'll be like, I don't even like myself, and I gotta like everybody else around me, right? There's times we just gotta get over some of these things, and you do it through the power of God and the love of God working through you. Bringing two lives together is not always easy, especially if there's various faiths and beliefs or lack of faith as well becomes a spiritual problem once married it becomes difficult to separate as well or break it off so follow godly principles and read scripture and try to understand what's happening godly principles early in your relationships to avoid many of these hardships now you know god used samson's power pride sin to accomplish his purposes against the philistines you have to understand that but as we get uh, to the end of the story, Samson's going to pay a great price for his uh, disobedience and sin. And chapter 14 tells us more details about Samson. And when they were uh, traveling, a lion jumps out towards him and he, he, he tore it apart. But it, it wasn't in his own strength. It was supernatural strength. Verse 5 and 6 says, suddenly a young lion came roaring towards him. The spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. Now, me not being a farmer and playing around with a lot of goats, I would think that was pretty strong to tear apart a goat. But it's, not, it's suggesting here as you do a further investigation that it's a snapping or a breaking of the neck, which an ordinary farmer with those big arms, big hands would have been able to just snap it with no problem, but not when you're dealing with a lion. No, that changes everything. This was supernatural. This was supernatural power from God. Now later, he so kills the lion, and later he, he returns to the scene, he looks inside the lion's uh, carcass, and he sees a, a swarm of bees and honey, and he scoops it out, and he starts uh, eating the honey. It's not always how you start that matters most. We're starting to see some patterns here, some behaviors here that are negative, and it's going to grow worse and worse and worse. Over time, Samson, in a way, he's strong-willed, right? And he walked in the power of God, but he also walked in the power of pride. He starts going astray, starts sinning. He ate honey, and he touched uh, this dead animal, which was violating the Nazareth vow. He disregarded his parents' instructions. He married this ungodly woman. He would get angry, and he would use his power wrong. 
He was a gambler on top of this. He gives a riddle to his wedding companions. He's probably having a bachelor party or some crazy stuff happening there. And he says to someone, he says to these 30 men, right? If you can answer the riddle in the next seven days during this wedding feast, I will give you 30 uh, linen garments. And linen was expensive and 30 sets of clothes. Slowly, Samson is, 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 is putting his vow on the side and making some really bad decisions. He's starting to be very casual with his calling, very casual with his God. Now later, his wife is being threatened by these men during that seven days, and they, they said they're going to kill her and kill his, their father, the father's household if she doesn't give them the answers to the riddles, if she doesn't get Samson to tell them. Verse 16. Then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me, you hate me, you really don't love me. You've given me, you've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father or my mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? She cries the whole seven days. Hey, send her back home. So on the seventh day, he finally, that's not in scripture, that, that's, Bruce, we would be sending you back home. Like, we ain't getting married right now, I'm telling you. But anyway, on the seventh day, he finally told her, because she continues to press him, listen, after you're married, they're actually married, so, so I'm going off script for sure, but after you're married, you deal with it, right? Men, women, whatever, I don't know. You deal with certain things that you wouldn't have dealt with prior to marriage. That's just life. So be careful of the relationships that you get yourself into, right? So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she contributed to, to press him. She continued to press him. And she turned, in turn, he explained the riddle to the people. We see this throughout the story, a struggle for power. It comes in various ways, right? From Samson to those who are against him. They're using these uh, fear tactics, this, bi this bullying, this coercion, right? This manipulation uh, just to get their way. And that's just to list a few things. And a husband and wife needs to really um, choose each other over family and friends. At the end of the day, sometimes, very often, even over your own children. We, we care and cater to our children so much. And one day our children are out of the house and you're just left with yourself and your husband or your wife. And so you got to make these things right as the years go on and spend time with each other as the years go on. It's not just about your children. That's right. Now, you might not look at the story of Samson and think, oh, I'm going to get marital advice from it. But actually, there's so much marital advice in it. There's so much information here. It tells us so many things that we shouldn't be doing either. It tells us don't manipulate each other, right? Don't lie to each other. Don't use sex or comfort as a weapon. Don't put your loved ones in a dangerous uh, position on purpose. Secrets can cause problems in any relationship, especially marriages. And we can all learn from, from this story. It's not just for married couples. It's, it's not just for those who want to get married. This, this is for all people who are breathing. All people can learn from this because we're all having relationships with other people to some degree, right? So we see that the people will use their power, their position, their authority, their influence, and many other things to get their way, to manipulate you and coerce you to get their way. So be wise and be careful, even young adults and young kids, be careful of who's manipulating you and who's trying to get you to do things that you shouldn't be doing. It can and it will affect your future depending on who you hang out with and why. 
It's not always how you start that matters most. Now, now the riddle was, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. And on the seventh day, he, they, were so, they were supposed to be a great celebration and, and a wedding night to remember. These men got the riddle because they pressed his wife and threatened her. And the answer was, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? This enraged Samson. This got him so angry. This enraged him. And he went out and he struck down 30 men, taking their belongings and their clothes and paid off his gambling debt because it, it was a bet. And then he leaves his bride angry and the party and the chapter ends with this. And Samson's wife was given to a friend who had attended him at a wedding day. And we pick up the story in chapter 15. But can you imagine your friend doing that to you? Especially if your friend was Samson. <laughs> that guy wasn't too smart. Um, anyway. So again, this chapter starts off with a woman. Samson comes back to visit his wife and realizes she was given to a friend. So the father jumps in. Father of the bride jumps in in verse 2 and says, I was sure, I was sure you thoroughly hated her. He said, so that, that I gave her to your friend. Isn't your, the younger sister more attractive? Wow, great, Dad. Uh, take her instead, Samson said. This time, this time, I have a right to get even with the Philistines. Maybe the last time I didn't, but this time I have the right, and I will really harm them. And so he went out and caught 300 foxes, tied their tails together in pairs. He fastened a torch to every pair of, of tails. He, he lit the torches and, and then let the, the foxes loose in in, in, the, in the standing grain of the Philistines, he burned up the shocks and standing grain together with the vineyards and olive groves. That's crazy, by the way. It's a crazy story. Some people say it doesn't exist. I believe it existed and it happened just like the Bible says. Now, several uh, scholars um, believe that it wasn't necessarily foxes, but jackals. Um, that word can be, can, be, can be jackals instead of foxes as well, which could be found really during that time uh, in groups of up to 200 at one time. So the Bible really doesn't give timelines on how long it took Samson to do this, but I surmise that it didn't take Samson very long because with his rage, and if it's true, these groups of jackals of 200 with and a more would be in a pack, he would work really diligent uh, to get his rage out rather quickly. So jackal is probably a better rendering for that word. Nevertheless, we see Samson's rage, his power. It's just this rage and all this power. It's just so dangerous. Uh, by the way, just destroying someone's crops, right? Um, burning up the fields, that's equivalent to um, destroying someone's business, right? Burning down their house, burning down their, their building complex and destroying their livelihood, Right? It was affecting their agricultural farming and their food supply. Right, So he was trying to kill them by killing their produce, killing their business, killing their crops. You're not going to make it through the winter if you have no food. You don't just call Costco or Sam's or something like that. Right? Or go to a local grocery store. You've got to go hunt or agriculturally grow your food. This was abuse of power. This was revenge. This was retaliation. It's not always how you start off that matters most. Starting well does not mean things are going to go well for you either. It's not, always how, it's not always how things start up that determine where you end up. Samson is ending up right now in a very bad place. 
He's not in a good place. He's being motivated by, by power, by rage, by revenge. And when the Philistines learned that Samson did this, they set out to capture him. But Samson then, he takes a fresh jawbone. So it's not brittle, it's strong. And he goes out. And as they want to attack him, he attacks them and kills a thousand Philistines. And afterwards he says, I'm thirsty. I love that. I'm thirsty. I just killed a thousand men. I'm thirsty. He cries out to God. Listen to this prayer, beginning at verse 18. Samson cried out to the Lord. You have given me, your servant, the great victory. But must I die now and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? So Lord, give me some water. Give me water. He drank and his strength returned uh, to him and he revived. And in verse 20, we learn Samson led Israel for 20 years in the days of the Philistines. Now again, this story frustrates me a bit because he's a leader of Israel. He should know better on some of these things that he's doing, right? While Samson uh, does give credit to God for this, this great victory, he's still so casual with God. And prideful, powerful people always seem to think that their accomplishments really is on their own, their own methods, or they're entitled to things. So sometimes you see both of those things in operation, but we expect that from non-believers, that mindset, that depravity. But a judge of Israel, we expect more from a judge of Israel. We expect more from our godly leaders. We expect more those that are in power. And throughout the story, we see Samson choosing the wrong woman to, to comfort him. We see him running around with these wild passions and, and wild emotions. And when we finally see him pray, he's really not even humble. He's casual with God. But I think what makes this story redemptive for us is that God is still uses a broken person, full of power, full of pride, confusion, waywardness. Well, I would have been done by, with Samson by now, personally. God's not done with him. And this story should give us all hope, right? That while your friends and your families and comrades and those around you might be done with you, God's not done with you. And how do you know this? Because you're here. Because you're listening. Because you're watching. Because there's still breath in your lungs, right? And so while you're still living and alive, that means he still has, he's still giving you a chance to repent and turn towards him, right? A place where you can put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But don't keep going down these same roads. Don't keep going down um, this wayward path. Repent to the Lord while you can, which means turn away from your sins and turn towards God. And you can do this any time while you're alive and breathing on earth. But after you die, it's too late to repent and turn to God. By that time, you, you have, your life has ended and your destiny is now uh, locked in and secure, wherever that's going to be. right? For those who reject Jesus, their future is going to be hell. Banishment from the presence of God. Their future is going to be hot and dark. And their thirst will never be, be quenched. So if that's you, enjoy that place on earth while you can because eternity is not going to look very pretty for you. There's no parties in hell. I don't care what the world says. They don't care if you go to hell. And they want to have, think they're going to have a party then. They want to take you with them. Wake up, world. Wake up. That's not what the Bible says. You're going to end up in a really dark place. It's bad. But those of us who turn our lives over to God, 
Trust Him with our life. Trust Him with our today. Trust Him with our tomorrow and our future. We're going to have a party in heaven. It's going to be grand. It's going to be amazing. It's going to just blow your mind. It's going to be so amazing. Seeing Jesus face to face, being in heaven with the angels, seeing the, the, the roads and, the, and, and all the gardens that are going to be there, in the presence of God, in the presence of other saints, in the presence of our past families who, who also received Jesus Christ as their Savior. It's going to be an amazing time. Why would any intelligent person choose darkness? Why would any intelligent person want to reject Jesus Christ? It doesn't make sense to me. It's academically insane. Some of the smartest people on earth are trying to figure it out. Simply yield to Holy Spirit. Repent and give your life to Him. In a few moments, we're going to have communion and You'll have an opportunity to do that, to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior. Just speak to Him from your heart. You can do that any time that you're awake and alive. Speak to Him from your heart. And He will save you. And He will lead you. It's not always how you start out that matters most. It's not always how things start up that determine where you end up. And once you receive Jesus Christ, your future and destiny is secure in your faith in Christ Jesus. It's not always how you start that matters most. Number two, where you end up in life is more important than where you start off in life. Chapter 16 starts off with another woman. Samson spends a night with a prostitute. Now I wanna pause for a moment and just remind us that Samson started off well. He had a good family. They heard from the Lord. They saw, the, they saw the theophany take place in front of them. He was chosen from birth to do great things. He was given gifts, talents, and abilities, and yet so often filled with pride, filled with rage, and so many other sinful things, and now he's going to be with a prostitute. I want to be very clear. God is not approving of Samson being with this prostitute. He's not approving Samson's ways. Don't think, oh, if this great judge of God, of Israel, did it, I should be able to do it too. No, that is wrong thinking. That is depravity in your mind and in your heart. That's wrong thinking. God is patient with our sin, but that doesn't mean that he approves of our sin. It just means that he hasn't immediately let you just fall off the cliff and die. He hasn't zapped the, the air out of your lungs. But death and, and, and pain and suffering is our future without the Lord. Where you end up in life is more important than where you start off in life. How you live matters. What you do, what you say matters. Your actions matter. My wife always says this, it reminds me of this, when people show you who they are, believe them. When people show you through their life who they are, believe them. People can talk a lot of smack and they can say all the things they're going to do. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do this. Just watch what they do. Sometimes you have to, don't even talk anymore. Just do what you say you're going to do. Right? Because people chit chat and say a lot of things, but they don't do what they say they're going to do. How they act will reveal so much about them. 
There are people who should be here today in this house and in churches around the world. There's people that should be there. And I'm very thankful for everybody that's here. And, we, and, we, and I'm, I'm happy. And I'm thankful for those that are watching at home as well. But there's a lot of people that should be in the house and should be, the churches in America should be filled right now during these times. Right? They should be filled. And many call it, this is my church. This is, this is my church, right? And the people, you hear people say that. But then they're nowhere to be found. And so many call themselves Christians. But they don't even follow and obey God's words. Many are only Christians in their mind, not in their heart. Oof. So I encourage you today that even if you start off rightly and have gifts and abilities and talents and God is blessing you, God called you, God has even chose you, that's awesome. I encourage you to just stay the course. But if you don't use these gifts rightly, you sin. When you hold back your gifts, your talents, your tithes, your, your offerings, your support from your, from your local church, you sin. You rob God. And you rob the people of God as well. You rob your church family and friends and other saints of God. A lot of people don't want to hear that. They reject that. Where you end up in life is more important than where you start off in life. So many people are making excuses for their upbringing and for where they started in life. It's not that important. It's important. But it's not everything. I should say it that way. You might think you have a, a leg up on someone else. But then it's an attitude that I did it. And this story is about God doing it. And when we study 1 Corinthians 12, we learn that these spiritual gifts were given to the church. For what? For common good. To edify the church, to build up the church, to, for the saints of God to share their gifts. Not for selfish gain, not to shelve it, right? Not to use it, oh, whenever I feel like it. Well, on Monday I don't want to use it, but Tuesday I will use it, but for the next month I won't even use it at all, right? Or whenever they decide to show up. Your work and service is not unto me or unto the church or unto your denomination. It's unto God. So when you work and you live and you do these things, who are you doing it for? So what you say, what you promise you're going to do, do it. Say less, do more. Promise less, deliver on what you say you're going to do. If not, you're lying. If not, you're stealing. If not, you, your mind is a little messed up and you're abusing your gifts. And we see Samson, who knows better, he's full of pride, anger, rage, using his gifts from God, not for the common good, but for personal gain, for personal revenge. He's casual with God. He's casual with his calling. He's casual with his gifts. And he's blinded by power, right? As if he will never lose his power. His power. And even though God is using, utilizing Samson for his purposes, this doesn't mean that he's okay with his behavior and his actions. The Philistines learn that he's hanging out overnight with this prostitute. So they surround him and then during the night he escapes. And again, look at this, his rage. He rips off the city gates, these massive doors with these posts and he carries them to the top of the hill in Hebron. Some say 20 miles away, some say 40 miles away, but regardless, his power is supernatural and his rage is destructive. Now sometime later, Samson falls in love with Delilah. And she appears to be another Philistine woman. And though the Bible doesn't say that 
that's, that she is Philistine. We do see that she's going after money. The Philistine rulers paid her to be with Samson because they can see the weakness in, in him. And the enemy does that as well. He will ob observe you, listen to you, and take advantage of you. Take advantage of your weakness. He listens to what you say. He takes advantage of that. And Delilah was used to lure Samson into a trap. In fact, he does that a few times and Samson doesn't get it. Over and over again, Delilah asks Samson, what is the secret of, your, of the power? Verse 13, Delilah then says to Sam, Samson, until now you have been making a fool of me, lying to me, telling me how you can, can, how you can be tied. He replied, if you were weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and then tighten it, tighten it, with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. You, you are as weak as any other man without the power of God. So while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric, and tightened it with the pin. Where you end up in life is more important than where you start off in life. And here we find Samson asleep when he should have been awake. We find him asleep when he should have been awake. He's sleeping with the enemy. But he loves, he loves her. He loves her. Again, she called out to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. And then, said, and then she said to him, how can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you have made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, and uh, she prodded him day after day until he was tired to death. Again, we've seen Samson in a very bad relationship with someone who's using the love and affection against him, using love and affection as a weapon. She manipulated him over and over again. Three times this happened, and Samson doesn't get it. Or maybe he does get it. He doesn't care. So much potential. So many gifts wasted. Sin will always take you further than you want to go. And sin will always hang around longer than you want it to hang around, church. And slowly, Samson's getting weaker and weaker and weaker by the moment. He doesn't even know because he's casual with God. He's casual with his calling. He's casual with his vow. And slowly and slowly, he's getting himself all jammed up. And he's getting, he's, a, a, a great fall is about to take place. And the Bible says, pride cometh before a fall. Let's read that in Proverbs verse 16. Proverbs 16, beginning at 16 says, how much better to get wisdom than gold? To choose understanding rather than silver? The highway of the upright avoids evil. He who guards his way guards his life. Pride goes before destruction. A holy spirit before fall. But better to be lowly in spirit and among the oppressed than to share the plunder with the proud. Samson has this haughty, Spirit, which means arrogantly superior. And in this moment, we'll read, uh, in a moment, we'll read that the strength is gone. He doesn't know it. The presence of God, gone. He doesn't know it. He's probably thinking, hey, I can do this, I can do this whenever I want. Whenever I feel like I can just get up and walk in that power. This stuff is going to have no effect on me. Because he is the powerful one. No. That's pride. Pride comes before a fall. Romans 
Chapter 1, verse 18, Romans chapter 1 is an amazing chapter for the entire world to read. Read it again and again and again. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godliness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 21, for although they knew God, they they neither glorified God, uh, neither glorified him as God, nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. Verse 24. Therefore, God gave them over to their sinful desires of their hearts, to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. Your sins will eventually catch up to you. Your sins will eventually catch up to you. God will not be mocked, and man reaps what he sows. So Samson tells Delilah everything. No razor has ever been used on my head. He said, because I have been a Nazarite set apart to God since birth. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. Verse 18, when Delilah saw that he told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, come back once more. He told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with silver in their hand, having put him to sleep on her lap. She called the man to shave off the seven braids of hair, so began to subdue him. His strength left him. So Samson, asleep when he should have been awake. Now lured into this trap, which caused him to lose his strength, and then he, was, he will also lose his sight in the process. He was blind when he should have been able to see. Where you end up in life is more important than where you start off in life. Verse 20, then she called Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke up from the sleep and thought, I'll go out just like before. I'll just shake this all off. He didn't know that the Lord left him. The Philistines grabbed him. They gouged out his eyes, took him down to Gaza, bind him. They, they were binding him with bronze shackles. They, they set him on a, a grinding wheel in prison. But the hair on his head began to grow. Hallelujah. After it was shaved. Samson, his strength left him. He didn't know it. The power of God left him. Didn't know it. He didn't know he was deceived by his power, position, pride. He didn't know it. He was blind when he should have been able to see. He was spiritually blind, and now he's physically blind. You know, we are body, soul, and spirit. We often focus maybe on one part over the other part, but we are body, soul, and spirit. It's not that we have it. We are uh, flesh and, and spirit, both material and immaterial parts at the same time. And each one affects the other part. Uh, just like the church, we are the body of Christ, right? We are, we are to be one body unified, many gifts, but one body of believers. We are to be unified in Christ Jesus. He is the head of the church. We are, we are the bride. We are the body. And we are to be utilized in many capacities. We are, we are, we are on, on earth where his feet, where his hands, where his mouthpieces on earth to put forth his will and, and purposes. And Samson neglected and was casual towards, towards God and towards his calling. It was his downfall, his pride. 
him thinking that he can violate God's words and do great things without any harm to himself or harm to others. He paid the great price. He, 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 he's captured, he's tortured, he's, he's blinded. He eventually died. He was now in darkness when he should have been in the light. The presence of God left him, and with it, the power of God is gone. When you stop being in the presence of God, the power of God starts to leave you. So he went from being a Hercules-type figure of a man to a broken man, full of hope, full of passion and purpose to put forth God's will on earth. But instead, he chose to go astray and selfishly put forth his own will and his agenda. He could have done so much for God and for the kingdom of God. He could have saved so many lives, but his potential was wasted away by pursuing worldly pleasures and personal gain and satisfaction. How many people today, while you might not have a Samson-type strength, you have put forth your own agenda and you have been casual with your calling. You have been casual with your God. You have been casual with the reading. Even a saint of God just this, this week told me he hasn't been reading the Bible at all for weeks, for months. Maybe it's been years. I don't even know. We've gotten so off track of our calling. And you know who it is. And you know who you are. It's time to get back on track. But maybe the pain and the suffering haven't gotten bad enough for you to do that. Just wait. Just give it some more time. The pain's going to increase until you humble yourself in the sight of the Lord or until you totally break. We need to recognize we're nothing without God. It's pride that says that we are. It's God who gives you strength. It's God who gives you life. Because of him that we live and we breathe. He's trying to get your attention, church. And your talents, gifts, and everything you have, everything you are is because of him. Will you continue to live for yourself? Or will you continue to live for God? Samson probably pondered these questions, but the hair on his head, verse 22, began to grow after it's been shaved. If I was a Philistine... There's no way I would let this dude's hair grow. I'd be shaving it off every day. Come on, right? Let's think about that. That's stupid. Like, why would you do that? Why would you let this guy's hair grow back? But they had no respect for God, and they had no respect for Samson. And they called Samson from prison where he was going around in a circle, grinding the stone and the weed or whatever it was, just walking around in a circle, a small little circle, day after day, going nowhere, right? In a circle, blind, in darkness, and this is where he began to see. He started to see God. He started to see the light of God. Again, verse 25, we're wrapping it up here. We're landing the plane. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of prison and he performed for them. When he stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hands, put me where I, where I can feel the pillars and support the temple so that I may lean against them. Now, the temple was crowded with men and women, and all the rulers of Philistines were, were there. And on the roof, there were, were 3,000 men and women watching Samson perform. How humiliating this must have been. Then Samson prayed to the Lord, O sovereign Lord, remember me. O sovereign Lord, remember me. O God, please strengthen me just one more and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached out towards the center pillars, the two center pillars, central pillars on which the temple stood, bracing himself against it. 
his right hand on one side, his left hand on the other. Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And down came the temple on the rules and all the people. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. More died, more died that day than during 20 years of leading. Notice this, that the power wasn't in the hair. The power was in their God. The power was in the commitment to God. Samson finally prays a heartfelt, humility-type prayer, placing his confidence in the Lord. Remember me, sovereign God. Remember me. Strengthen me. But I also think he should have said, forgive me. In fact, he still wanted revenge in his dying, desperate times for his eyes, he said. Let me die with the Philistines. Be careful what you ask for, church. You just might get it. God might grant your request, even though that is not what's best for you. And don't take your prayer life casually. And don't take times around these altars casually. Don't take your calling with God lightly. We're, we're called to do great things in his kingdom. You are all called to do great things in his kingdom. I hope you understand that. This is not just a history lesson. This is a power-up lesson. We are, we are the, the do great things for the kingdom of God, but too often our prayers and acts of faith are weakened by our thinking, our sin, our personal agenda. Now, Samson eventually prays a prayer of faith, and he's going to make it into the great faith chapter I said, Hebrews 11. But notice it's not for his sinful acts, but because he's actually, believe it or not, he's a type of Christ. He's a type of Christ. His calling was from, from birth, before he was even born. His vow was to be lifelong. He destroys the roaring lion. He strikes out against the enemies of God. He is betrayed by his loved ones. He is to be a deliverer of God's people. And he gives up his life in the end willingly. And I'm sure there's many more reasons that you might be able to come up with. Where you end up in life is more important than where you start off in life. And God wants you to know today that he loves you. He loves everyone who can hear me, everyone who can see me. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. He loves us. And he wants us to be part of the family of God. Right, Roxanne? He wants us to be part of the family of God. We're called. We're chosen before the foundation of the world. And he gives us talents and gifts and abilities, fills us with his Holy Spirit. Rivers of life run through us. He wants us to use our gifts and talents for his story and glory. Focus on him, live for him, and remain in his presence. Linger in his presence. If you want to overcome pride, or whatever it is you're struggling with in your life, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. Repent for your sins, which means turn away from wrong ways of going, from sin, and then spend the rest of your life serving Christ Jesus. And you start living for him. And so before we take part in communion, just a few more minutes, I want to quickly give you and those listening at home, an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ, really just going to only ask once. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, you can receive him today by just raising your hand and saying, yes, Lord. Pray for me, Pastor. I'm not going to ask you to come up or anything. Just, I'll, I'll pray for you. I'll see that hand. Then I'll lead you in a prayer. Anyone who wants to receive Jesus, just raise your hand in faith. If you're watching from home, if you're watching from home, you can receive him too.
The Bible says, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you will be saved. The Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If you spoke to Jesus today from your heart and asked him, Lord, I need thee. Oh, I need thee. Forgive me my sins. I confess that you are the son of the living God. You died and you raised again. And three days later, and you're sitting in the right hand of Father God. You're saved. You immediately become part of the family of God. Instantaneously. But with that comes now rights as being a child of God and responsibilities because you're a child of God. And the Bible says, let a man examine his heart, a woman, a boy, a girl, which means take an inward look at your heart and actions and repent for your sins. Turn to God in repentance after salvation. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sins and then and wrong actions and you turn away from them. Christians need to repent daily because we fail daily. You don't need to be saved daily. But salvation is an ongoing saving by faith, by living in faith ongoing, but putting your faith in God ongoing. And one of the responsibilities is taking communion. And we need to take communion in a right way because taking it in an unholy way, in a wrong way, unworthy way, in an unworthy manner is dangerous for your health. Read about it in 1 Corinthians 11 when you have some time. We take communion in remembrance of the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection. And so, let me bless this bread. You have your cups. There's two little parts. You open up the top, then the bottom. And this emblem represents the body of Christ, symbolic of his body. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you, Lord. After examining our hearts and repenting for our sins, we know, Lord, that you are faithful and just and will forgive us. We know, Lord, that you went on the cross and died for us. Your body was so banged up and bruised. But we thank you for the cross. We thank you for what you have done. Bless this bread in Jesus' name. And when he has given thanks, he broke it and said, Take eat, this is my body which we do, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's do this as a family of God. Now this cup, this juice, it's symbolic of the blood that stained that floor and stained that cross and came out of his body. It was a bloody mess, church. It's symbolic. You're not drinking his blood. It's symbolic, church. Let's pray. Father God, we just thank you for your blood. By your blood, by your stripes, we are healed, oh God. And we are so thankful for what you've done. You conquered the grave. You conquered the cross. You are now the risen Savior alive and forevermore. No more work needs to be done. We just need to come to you, oh God, and we just remember what you have done. 
bless this cup in Jesus' name. In the same manner, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often you drink in remembrance of me. Let's do this together. And then if you could stand, hallelujah. Hallelujah.
I pray blessings over your church and your house. Illuminate their mind and their hearts. Give them a thirst for you. And as we close these years, Lord God, the next few months of this year, God, may it be strong. May we, may we linger in your presence and dwell in your house and just love the word of God and worshiping you in spirit and in truth. May you all go in peace. God's peace and love carry you the rest of the week until we see each other. Again, these altars are open if you want prayer. We will anoint you with oil and pray for you. So you're dismissed in Jesus' name, but these altars are still open. Hallelujah.